W's on my mind. Pete, what I'm getting at? Attire proper, price hopper, though slightly darker. From where they drive us, forgotten, you get blocked up for parkers. Good morning and welcome to episode 413 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. Today we're going to be talking about the Nationals in 20 minutes. Nick will talk to Adam Kilgore, the beat writer for the Washington Post. But we have Craig Goldstein, who writes for Baseball Prospectus and who wrote the Nationals player comments in this year's annual. Craig, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. Ben, how are you? I'm well enough to proceed. Good. Uh, Craig, I want to lay out a narrative for you. Uh, This is a narrative that I feel like had some momentum last year. In 2012, the Nationals were super duper good and decided to sit Steven Strasburg down the stretch and in the playoffs uh, because they didn't want him to to be hurt, but also because they felt confident that with this team and this core – they were going to be back and that they needed Strasburg to be healthy for that next great Nationals team, which was you know, going to come in 2013. And then 2013 happened, and we, we learned that baseball is really unpredictable, uh, and they didn't come close to making the playoffs. So um, the question is, did the Nationals, uh, do you feel like the Nationals did ruin or throw away their big chance, or do you really feel like last year was a crazy outlier and they're going to have many, many chances this year, next year, the year after that, and um, that last year was just a an unfortunate blip. Um, would it be cheating to take somewhere in between? No, um, that's what we do okay. here. <laughs> uh, probably, probably something in between. I think um, a lot of times last year we heard about the plexiglass principle. Um, I think 2012 was probably more of the outlier than, than 2013, but I do think 2013 saw a lot of regression or injuries uh, that, that affected the Nationals. Denard Span was bad for most of the year. Adam LaRoche was uh, turned back into Adam LaRoche, uh, which was a big problem. And that kind of offset, you know, steps taken forward by Harper and Ian Desmond and the games they got from Wilson Ramos. But they also, they lost games from Ramos. They lost games from Harper, uh, things like that. And I... I actually was not against the decision to sit Strasburg in, in 2012. I understand you get a limited uh, window, um, and, and they were in the playoffs. But at the same time, I think uh, them looking out for the best interest of their player uh, might say a lot to prospective free agents or, or people they're negotiating with, um, maybe like Lucas Giolito. Um, he, he's a, he was their first round pick and he already had a, an elbow injury when they signed him and he had, uh, he comes from money, but he signed with them, um, for $3 million, which I think if he had gone back into the draft, he probably would have earned more if he was healthy. So I think maybe their handling of Strasburg might've convinced him, you know, that he was in good hands that they look out for the best interests of the player. So I think that's a long-term view of it, but I think it matters. So despite being one of the, the more disappointing teams last year, the, the Nationals didn't really go out and spend a, a crazy amount of money and and bring in all the best free agents. They made some trades, but really the biggest signing they made was was Nate McLeod. A lot of times, you know, when people will ask what went wrong for them last year, one of the, the keys to their their failure, the bench, is often cited as a as a main reason. And 
McClouth is is intended to make that weakness stronger. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what went wrong there last year and how they seem to be shaping up there this year? Yeah, well, I simply put their their bench was awful. And again, this is where they saw some regression as well. Guys like Steve Lombardozzi, um regressed horribly and, and turned into someone who you probably didn't want on your major league team at all, but for that he could play multiple positions at a maybe below average quality. Um, McLeod, obviously, he solves their issue of not having a backup center fielder, which I think was is, is a big thing for them if Denard Span struggles to start the season again. Uh, they also acquired Jose Lobaton um, for Nate Car- and, and Felipe Rivera for Nate Carnes, um, and they I think that was an underrated move because their backup catchers were beyond atrocious um, before acquiring him. Uh, I think one of their biggest problems, as as much as their bench was bad, uh, by re-signing Adam LaRoche when they did uh, to, to a two-year extension with a vesting option, they kind of locked themselves into the players that they had. And that lack of flexibility, they didn't really have anyone to turn to when someone struggled. You're not going to sit LaRoche for Tyler Moore. You're not going to sit, you know, they they just didn't have anyone to turn to when something went wrong to ignite a spark. They they kind of locked themselves into the lineup that they had. And then when injuries struck, obviously their their bench was exposed over a longer period of time. I, I think that McLeod helps. They also addressed it towards the middle of last season when they traded for Scott Hairston. And I think that was a that was a move for 2014 to to aid their bench. And, you know, Danny Espinosa, who appears to be losing out to Anthony Rendon for second base, should see time uh, all around the infield. And I don't know if they've if they've played him in the outfield at all, but um, he, he should see some time, although he's not an ideal bench player as someone who strikes out as often as he does. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Espinosa because um, it does seem like a huge part of the uh, Espinosa is the kind of guy who, if he's playing well, um, he makes the whole roster a little deeper, you know, because he's fairly flexible and can play in the middle of the infield and all that. And he's a good bat off the bench. But last year he was he was unplayable. Um, so, I mean, he was so bad that, you know, he, you would expect him to be out of the league in a matter of weeks if he kept playing that poorly. But, of course, um, he's got a much better pedigree than that. So what do you expect from him? I mean, what was at the core of his problems last year and and uh is that uh is a repeat of last year conceivable or was that just completely uh unthinkably bad for his talent level i i think it is conceivable um because he's one of those guys because of how little he makes contact um you know if he gets in into a rut i think you know he can go bad very quickly uh, especially coming off the bench, if he doesn't get into any sort of rhythm, I think that could be tough for for a player of for his profile. Um, but I also think you know he pl- whether he played through a broken hand or whether it was misdiagnosed, I'm still not quite sure. But he played with a broken hand, and I think that was a, a major uh, issue for him. And so he, presuming he does not have a broken hand this season, that he attempts to play through. I think he will improve, and that will. That will improve the depth of their bench, although, as I said before, I, I personally don't think he's the type of guy that's going to come off the bench and play particularly well at the plate anyway. He is obviously a very good defender. I think he can play both positions at the middle. Uh, yesterday on the, the Tigers preview podcast, we talked about the ways in which the Doug Fister trade was a bad idea. 
Um, I, I guess we could just go over that again and talk about the ways in which it was good for Washington. But uh, I mean, do you think that 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 uh, you know the transfer of Fister from one to the other makes the the Nationals rotation the best in baseball? Maybe gives it the edge over Detroit. Do you think any any other teams? collection of, of top four or five starters can compete? Um, yeah, I actually, uh, I wrote an article on this uh, uh, on a different site, but uh, I did put the Nationals at the top, and I believe I had the Tigers second. So I do think that transfer mattered, especially just because of the the bulk innings that Fister can provide. Uh, he, he's not an ace, and he, I think he's pitched a little bit, well, I don't want to say above his head, but if he, if he loses any... Um, of his stuff, I think it could be it could go south very quickly just because of how much he lives in the strike zone. Uh, at the same time, I think he was a huge boon for the Nationals, who kind of saw the back end of their rotation exposed last year. Though they got good starts from guys like Taylor Jordan and Tanner Roark, who are battling for the fifth spot right now uh, after Ross Detweiler went down. But these were guys that 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 were unknowns at the time that had to make the jump from the from the you know, middle minors. I think they were double A, not even a triple A. Um, you know, so they were throwing, you know, first Ross Detweiler and then Ross Ollendorf. And once they ran out of Rosses, they, they switched to, you know, Roark and, and Jordan. But I think Fister really helps on that front um, because, you know, Dan Heron was on the team last year. And I think people don't realize that he made, I think he made 30 starts, if not 32. Um, but he just didn't go deep into games. And I think he taxed their bullpen a lot. So I think that could, that that could be a big swing for them. Can I ask you to repeat Tanner's last name? It it's it upsets me, but it's Roark. Wow. And can <laughs> I ask? Can I also ask you to 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 pronounce the word that is spelled O U T L I E R? Oh, did I did I do that? I no, I, have a I don't know. I don't know. That. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. Uh, well, now I'm self conscious. <laughs> I I can tell you what I did. Okay, is that I what have you a, want? I, no, I said Outlier. I, sure I heard it. I thought I might have heard that. I thought I might have heard that. Yeah, okay. I said Outlier. That's a. I I have a couple words that I um, mangle. It's not. You know, I I I, I uh, have an affinity for that pronunciation of that word because uh, Rev Halo fan of Halo's Heaven, who uh, has a podcast that I uh, I used to be on, he would also pronounce it that way uh, repeatedly, and um, <laughs> it was a source of much amusement uh sorry I've, I've been mocked and derided for it so i really should know better <laughs> so how do you expect that fifth starter battle to play out there's going to be a decision made this week so some people listening may already know the answer but uh which do you think they will pick or which do you think they should pick um I, rather than saying who they who they will pick i think they should pick uh taylor jordan i i think he kind of had at least to me and and i am fairly interested in prospects. Uh, he had a little more pedigree than Tanner Roark, and I think he's kind of got fourth starter upside, and if he's your fifth fifth starter, I think that's a good place for him to be. I don't think there's a big difference between the two of them, you know, all, all told, but um, he's he's the guy I go with. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of uh, reasoning behind that, except that I, I prefer his pedigree to Roark's, and I don't like Roark's last name. <laughs> Even having had the conversation about Roark's last name a moment ago, every time you said it in the last answer, I thought, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with calling him Rourke if if that's how we want to go with it. 
Uh, no, once I get, I mean, once we get used to it, it is to me, it's, uh, it's, it's more interesting the way it is. So once we get used to it, I think it's a winner. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, well, so the Braves essay in this book, which you had nothing to do with and can't be blamed for, was all about how the Braves, um, hadn't signed a player to an extension in, um, you know, in a very long time, a, you know, like a pre-arb player or a pre-free agency player in a very long time. And they, that they should. And then of course they did, they signed all of them. And so I wonder if now the if somebody has to have that mantle as the team that hasn't signed enough players to extensions, I wonder if it's the Nationals because if you're generous with who you count here, you can count maybe 10 to 12 players who are sort of key parts of this team and that have four years of service time or fewer, uh, in, including you know sort of the, the two most famous ones, Strasburg and, and Harper. And yet of all those, only uh, only Gio Gonzalez. Has has signed any sort of deal that buys out, um, you know, even a single year of free agency. So when you're looking at at a team that has Strasburg and and Harper and and Rendon and you know various other guys, Zimmerman, uh, the Nationals already missed their chances with these guys. Desmond obviously is is, is one that's in the news. Uh, have the Nationals already missed their chances with these guys? Is it too late? Have they blown it, or uh, can can they fix this, or should have they done it just perfectly to this point? Uh, I'm I'm actually a fairly big proponent of of going year to year um, with more guys than teams seem to be doing right now. I I think they're they're approaching it fairly well. I I would probably lock up um, at least Harper, if not Strasburg, if you're worried about the, the arm. Um, but I I would definitely go after Harper. Beyond that, I don't think there's a ton of guys. I mean Desmond. Uh, as you said, is in the news. Uh, he's he's 28, so I'd be wary of giving him, you know, because these extensions end up buying out. You know, they end up being like six years, and I, I'm not a huge fan of signing someone through like their age 34, 35 season. I think that's kind of pushing the limits. Um, but you know, a guy like Harper at 21, I think you want to get in on that as soon as possible. I would potentially offer him, you know, a 10-year deal if you can, because then you're going to age 31 and someone else can overpay for the back end. And I think that can actually be uh, uh, the back end of his career. And I think that can actually be some sort of competitive advantage because then you get teams like the Angels who are straddled with, like, you know, Albert Pujols until he's 40. Um, and that and that's an advantage for you in the long term. Um, in terms of, I, I don't think they've, they've missed any window though um money is available kind of you know for baseball owners whenever they choose to to present it and so i think you know none of these guys are going to say oh they didn't offer me an extension in my you know third year of cost controlled um you know team controlled situation so like you know if the team says here's our checkbook what do you want i i think they'd sign a deal um just curious i i assume you haven't done the math or anything and so this answer will be just off the top of your head but uh what would bryce harper uh and a 10-year extension be worth like how much would you how much would you give him because i know that there are people who are doing the math in their head right now um i i kind of believe harper is going to be an mvp candidate starting in this next year um i i'd probably go somewhere around 300 million because hey it's not my money um mm -hmm. i'd i'd be willing to do that i i that might be more of a i i think at this point it's probably not a free agent cost um yeah i i really don't know i'm not i'm not, i'm not great with extensions in terms of uh valuing that i i kind of think teams uh especially recently have been giving free market costs to the guys that they're extending which 
I never really understood because they have control of them and they should be getting some sort of discount. Um, and I think they kind of count on the market continuing to expand, which then provides them that discount. But um, I don't know, somewhere in the 250 to 300 million dollar range. Do, uh, do you do, do either of you have an idea on on what that might look like? It was what? What? <laughs> we don't we don't respond to questions. We have to we have to save some content for when we actually have to come up with topics to talk about during the season. So uh, we'll we'll get to that at a later date. Um, so the the BP staff collectively picked its uh, award winners last week, and uh, the the staff as a whole sees Bryce Harper as the the most likely to win the National League MVP award, uh, and also Steven Strasburg. I think third in the the Cy Young race. Are you on board with that? Is this going to be the year that we finally see both of those guys really fulfill their potential and, you know, become best player in baseball level, do you think? Um, I I definitely think it's possible. I think I had Harper second to to Hanley Ramirez because I'm a homer for the Dodgers. But um, I do think both of them kind of just get crushed by the weight of expectation a little bit. Uh, they were both incredibly good last year, and I'm not sure people give them enough credit for how good they were. I know, like I said, Harper missed the time, but I think um, from the annual, I think he had a, a, a 302 true average as a 20 as a 20 year old. I mean, that's that boggles my mind, and I don't. So I don't think people are really clear on how good he was, that he he improved in average, he improved in on base, he improved in slugging. Like, he, I, he got significantly better over the course of the year. And, I you know, I think his warp was down because of defense. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think Harper is incredible. And I think if he's healthy, he's absolutely an MVP candidate. Um, Strasburg, I also think people don't realize how good he was. I don't know if it's because uh, a lot of people focus on that he was eight and nine. Um, obviously, wins aren't the greatest metric to go by, but I, I think it can be deceiving for for at least the the lay fan. Um, but I think this is a year he can get to 200 innings, which will be a big deal for him. He was at I think 183 last year, and you know I I I do think he can be a Cy Young award winner if he can get those innings and, and, you know, maybe pitch deeper into games and, and trust less of his uh, wins to to the bullpen, even though it is a relatively good one. Um, and, and I know, again, wins aren't great, but I, they matter in the Cy Young Award for better or worse. Um, so in short, yes, I do think they take that step forward. Um, but I think they're also already exceedingly good. Have you seen his slider? I don't know if you watched the spring training games, but have you seen his slider in action yet? I I actually have not. Um, is that a question I can ask either of you? Because I I have not seen it. I have not seen it either. I uh, I just I just looked. I just in anticipation of this looked and saw one gif of one pitch that was thrown outside the strike zone, and I mean you know whatever. Yeah, I I don't know if it's smart. I. Th- my reaction to seeing him tinkering around with a slider was that someone who's work. I mean, obviously he's back from Tommy John, but someone who's had Tommy John and uh, introducing a slider into their repertoire seems awfully odd to me, um, mm-hmm. considering the stress All he puts right. on the elbow. Uh, speaking of uh, pitchers who've who've had injuries, uh, can you talk just a little bit about Lucas Giolito, who who ranked 13th on the BP 101 this year? Um, yeah, he's extremely 
Good. Um, from what I know, I, I haven't gotten a chance to see him because I was not able to go to Florida. Um, I hope to see him um, opening day in Hagerstown, which is where I believe he'll be uh, sent. Uh, that's low A. I think that he will probably spend most of the year there because I don't think they have any reason to push him. Uh, he, he was potentially the number one pick. Uh, he was going to be the potentially the first right-handed high school pitcher ever taken number one overall in draft. He uh, was at Harvard Westlake during his draft year, and he came down with a elbow injury. Um, he opted to rehab it, and he was able to throw, I think, for teams right before the draft, but he slid from a potential 1-1 to, I think, the 16th pick, and the Nationals spent pretty much their entire uh, their entire uh, draft allotment on him. Um, so there's a lot riding on him, obviously, but he's, I think, 6'6 or 6'7. Uh, before the injury, he could touch 100 miles an hour. He had an incredible curveball, and he's shown uh, potential for a plus-plus uh, changeup. I mean, if, if we looked at uh, Jason Park's um, tools, they, I think he gave him a potential 8 fastball, 8 curveball, and 7 changeup. So, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> – yeah. All right, um, so Craig, tell us how many wins the Washington Nationals will have in 2014. I'm going to go with 90. Hmm. Okay. I'm tempted that's... to say 94, but just because <laughs> that's what everyone has said. But Yeah, um, I was kind of expecting another 94. This is, this is nice. I, th- I think the division's not, not <laughs> necessarily going to be as, um, as much of a runaway between the Braves and the Nationals as everyone thinks. Uh, as we realized last year, baseball is weird. And I think, I kind of think the Mets, Phillies, and, and Marlins are not as bad as everyone seems to be anticipating. All right. Uh, well, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so everyone can, can follow Craig on Twitter at CD Goldstein. Oh, don't do that. Oh, I just did. Uh, you can... Of course, read his his fantasy coverage at, at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Craig. Um, please support our our sponsor, BaseballReference.com. Go to Baseball Reference, sign up for the Play Index. Uh, use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And now stay tuned to hear Nick talk to Adam Kilgore. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm here with Adam Kilgore, beat writer for the Washington Post. How's it going, Adam? Going great, man. Spring training in full swing here. Looking forward to opening day. Uh, beautiful day in Jupiter, the uh, city, not the planet. So, looking good. <laughs> the Nationals had a disappointing 2013 as they went into the season as odds-on favorites to win the National League East, but ended up finishing 10 games out of first place as their offense scored 75 fewer runs than they did in the year before. Manager Davey Johnson retired at the end of the season, and Washington hired Matt Williams to replace him. This is his first manager job. He had previously coached in Arizona under Kirk Gibson. Since the team moved to Washington in 2005, the Nationals have not had a manager last for more than two and a half seasons. What did the Nationals like about Williams that inspired them to hire a first-time manager to run a team that's supposed to compete this year? And do you think that Williams could turn out to be their first long-term manager? Uh, so to answer the second question first, I would say yes. Um, that was sort of part of the hope when they hired him. You know, he's the guy who's 49 years old. He definitely fits that sort of new mold um, that a lot of mm-hmm. teams are looking for, which is a guy who might not have a lot of experience. Uh, but you look at, like, the Cardinals with Mike Matheny, um, I think he was probably the 
sort of new-ish standard for a lot of teams just because the Cardinals did so well and had so much mm-hmm. success and they were viewed as being a really smart uh, franchise. You know, the, the Tigers hired Brad Osmus, a guy who has a very little managerial experience. Uh, I think the only managerial experience was like with Israel, the World Baseball Classic, yeah. they hired him. Um, so it's sort of a similar circumstance in Washington. You know, Matt Williams had never been a manager at any level aside from being a uh, interim for about like, a handful of games at a low minor league level with Arizona um, and also in the Arizona Fall League with Arizona. Um, but they thought he was the best guy for the job. Um, Mike Rizzo knew him personally when he was the scouting director in Arizona, and Williams um, was both a player uh, and sort of like a front office assistant slash broadcaster slash coach um, slash just sort of gadfly for the Diamondbacks for a while. Um, and he was always really impressed with sort of Williams' intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing that, you know, in, in pro sports it seems like when one coach gets fired and a new coach gets hired, uh, or I should say fired in this case because Davey Johnson um, was sort of gently side, <laughs> I guess, instead of fired. But, um, you know, you almost always see teams go with the opposite of what they had. Uh, you know, Davey ran the team uh, as my, as our beloved columnist Tom Boswell likes to write, like a pirate ship. Um, it was very loose, relaxed. You wanted players to have an edge and felt like the way to cultivate that edge was to have um, basically no rules, just let, to let them run, run the show uh, more or less. Um, and that is not what Matt Williams is going to be about, it seems like. Um, and certainly not what the Nationals were expecting when they, when they hired him. So um, he brings a lot more structure. Um, he's a really organized guy, uh, almost like insanely detailed and comically detailed. Uh, a lot was made by the fact that he had every minute of the 41 days of spring training mapped out before he arrived in Vieira. Um, and he spent like two hours a day this winter working on that schedule. Um, uh, he, the owners found him to be a really articulate guy. He does have a very commanding presence. I think that was, that, that scored him a lot of points in the interview process. Um, but, you know, I think he really came in to the, to the, uh, the, the process as, um, something of a favorite just because of his personal tie to Mike Rizzo. Um, and he kept that, uh, through the whole way. And now here we are. How have the players been responding to Williams' different styles so far? Uh, good. You know, I think he does a lot of things that, um, on, on the face, I thought players, you know, especially veteran players like Ryan Zimmerman, Jason Worth, might find it kind of cheesy. Um, but he does it in a way that's not cheesy. He does it in a way that is, like, applicable. Um, you know, like all the scheduling, it's not a nuisance to players. They like it because they know where they need to be, um, and they sort of expect they have a good expectation of what's happening every day. Um, and the guy, too, who, they, who comes in with sort of automatic credibility um, because he was a great player not very long ago. Uh, you know, like Jason Worth was like, telling Bryce Harper one day about what a great player Matt Williams was because he watched him growing up. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, I think that's another reason why a lot of teams have gone sort of to, to younger managers. There's so much of a jo- of the job now is just relating to players, um, you know, sort of cultivating a good workplace environment, um, sort of making sure they don't hate the manager. Um, and that's been accomplished here uh, because, you know, that, that, that sort of his playing career almost acts as like currency in the clubhouse immediately. The Nationals' most well-regarded move from this offseason was trading Steve Lombardozzi, Ian Kroll, and Robbie Ray to the Tigers for Doug Fister. While Fister doesn't get as many strikeouts as the rest of the uh, Tigers' rotation, he brings excellent control, gets lots of ground balls, and has stayed pretty healthy. He pitched at least 150 innings in each of the last four years while eclipsing 200 innings twice. He joins Strasburg, um, Gio Gonzalez, and Jordan Zimmerman to form a very impressive front four of the rotation. Looks like Tanner Rourke or 
Taylor Jordan will end up in that fifth spot. Do you think that Washington's rotation is the best in all of baseball? Uh, I would say it's up there for sure, um, especially if Sister is healthy, which right now mm-hmm. um, he's sort of getting healthy. He had yeah. uh, elbow inflammation after his first start of the spring, which was terrifying for everyone here. Um, he has been slowly coming back and is looking pretty good. He's going to make his first start. Um, I'm sorry, right now it's Friday night and Saturday morning, or Saturday afternoon, he'll make his second major league start of the spring. Uh, he pitched in a couple uh, minor league games, uh, or I should, I should say, sorry, one minor league game, and it was fine, and every test has sort of been passed. Um, the next test is facing major league hitters again. So they think he will make uh, his first trip uh, through the rotation. He'll be able to start, depending on when this is this podcast runs. Uh, I don't know if that will fully through, but uh, assume it will be. Assume that Fister, you know, while it's not, he's not out of the woods right now as we speak, um, it looks like he will be healthy by the start of the year. Um, so I just be way off topic from your question, which was if they are the best reputation in baseball. Uh, and I would say, obviously, they are one of the best. Um, and they have the, the potential, truly, to, to be the best. They still think there's uh, a sort of uh, another level that Steven Strasburg can get to. Um, you know, you know, his ceiling is basically best pitcher in baseball, um, and so that sort of gives gives the whole rotation kind of an, uh, a level that not many rotations uh, have. Hugh um, Gonzalez has just, been, has just been so consistent. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll be better than he w- if he'll ever be better than he was in 2012, his first year here. But he's just got such great stuff, uh, and it's so durable that you can kind of pencil in, you know, uh, roughly 200 innings from him. Uh, you know, probably an ERA somewhere between 3 and 3.5, um, and so that's a pretty great weapon to have. Jordan Zimmerman, uh, you know, he might be able to get, um, he might be able to improve a little bit. He's still very young. Um, he sort of had a, had a gradual improvement every year of his career, uh, and he's always had sort of like, as, as he pointed out this spring, he's always had pretty, you know, sort of at least one crappy uh, stretch in the second half, and so he thinks he's got a way to, to get around that this year, so we'll see, but... Um, yeah, there's no question, especially with that front four, it'll be one of the best rotations. Uh, some of that might come down to how well the fifth starter does. And right now, uh, both Tanner Roark and Taylor Jordan seem like pretty good options as far as fifth starters go. So, um, yeah, nothing to, nothing to worry about now, but it is, it is March 21st as we speak. Lucas Giolito is just 19 years old, but is already one of the most exciting pitchers in the minor leagues. His first full season probably won't come into maybe, until maybe 2016, which is the year that Zimmerman and Fister reach free agency. If this rotation lives up to his potential over the next couple of years and Giolito's development also continues to go well, uh, how do you think uh, Washington will handle handle Zimmerman and Fister? Both pitchers are currently under contract. The contracts had bought out their final two arbitration years, which reduces the chances of them extending either player before they reach free agency. So what do you think will happen? Well, I think, um, you know, this might surprise people uh, who aren't familiar with the Nationals, but uh, it's sort of been the, the, the situation has been brewing, and I think what's going to happen is they're going to trade Zimmerman um, after this season. I think um, he's getting really expensive, um, and I think that, you know, that they've had some talks about negotiations uh, about contract extension for a couple of years now, um, and the Nationals really have not come close to what Jordan Zimmerman uh, would like to be paid. And honestly, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but based on uh, what I have heard, uh, and, and we've, we've reported this in the post as well, um, 
is that it's not, uh, you know, that it's more so the Nationals not getting up to the market. They're sort of hoping for that Ben Jordan will take a hometown, a hometown discount mm-hmm. um, and try to mitigate his risk by signing before he reaches free agency. And Zimmerman, to I would say his credit, is not having that. He says, I know I'm really good, uh, and I'm almost free agency, and I'd like to make a ton of money on the free agent market. Uh, and if you'd like to meet those demands now, great. If not, um, sorry. Thank you for your for your for grasping me and developing me. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's contentious, but I just think uh, you know both sides are sort of trying to make their best business business decision. And for the national, I expect um, I expect that'll be uh, trying to trade him for a great packs of prospects this winter. Um, and so I think that'll be a fascinating thing to play out. In fact, you know, I bet um, you know just kind of reading the leaves, I would not be surprised if, if they if they sort of set their sights on uh, a pitcher like Sister because he does have two years. So when, mm. when Zimmerman, you know, if, if in fact he does leave town after this year, he is traded, they've still got an awesome right-handed pitcher to sort of slide in there. And then, you know, they've got Taylor Jordan, Tanner Roark, um, another young right-hander named Blake Trinan who's been really impressive this spring. Um, potentially Giulio, but I don't think his, his sort of uh, arrival time is until late um, 2015, probably at the earliest because he is so young. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of how I see things playing out for the next couple of years. Steven Strasburg has been working on adding a slider to his repertoire this spring. How aggressive will he be in starting to use that pitch in games? That's a good question. So far in spring, he's been he's been mixing it in quite a bit, uh, you know, even, even more than I anticipated he would. Okay. Uh, I think what he really wants to do is give, he wants to sort of give right-handers, um, uh, or sorry, I should say he wants to give left-handed batters sort of less license to, like, dive out in front of the plate and hit his, yeah. uh, his, his fastball. Uh, on the first pitch, so I think I think it's going to be a, a really good weapon for him. His, you know, he's he's pretty good against all hitters, but he definitely um, struggles um, more against lefties, and it's a relative struggle. But um, you know, he's he's hasn't as good against lefties as he has righties, and that slider should be a pretty good equalizing weapon for him against the left-handed batters. So um, I'm pretty I'm pretty fascinated to see how that sort of meshes in with the rest of his repertoire because all three of his pitches are just so great uh, by themselves. And you put them together, and they, they even elevate even more. So, um, you know, I, I actually kind of think Strasburg is poised for just like a huge, huge, you know, top three kind of Cy Young a year. Um, you know, he had some sort of in 2012 he's excellent. They got shut down um, last year. He had a lot of weird sort of a small series of calamities, start by start, that sort of kept him from having um, a, a big breakout kind of season. Um, I think this year he's going to kind of put the hammer down and have you know and sort of show you know have like the Steven Strasburg season that maybe people have been um, uh, expecting um, for 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 a few years now. What do you know? What kind of velocity he's getting on that slider? From the sounds of it, it sounded like he's going to use it more, sort of like a mix between a slider and a cutter. Um, yeah, I think you know he, he said he, he said it's not a cutter, but he throws so damn hard it's sort of <laughs> is a fast cutter. Uh, he, he, he made a start yesterday um, in his cutter. A scout said that the fastest he has, his, sorry, his slider, the fastest his slider uh, was yesterday was 88. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a pretty serious, hard slider. Um, you know, because his curveball moves so much. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, to kind of differentiate, differentiate between those pitches, um, it's not going to be a big boomeranging slider, like maybe, uh, you know, Jordan Zimmerman has one of those. Um, so it might look something like a cutter and behave something like a cutter. Um but it's not a cutter from what Strasburg says. It is a true uh, slider that just is really fast. 
Yeah, that really helps for getting it, getting that pitch inside on left-handed hitters, as you said, is um, his focus. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's the main reason he has it. And, you know, that's not to say you want to throw right-handers. Um, yeah. and, and that's not to say his, his sort of view of the pitch won't evolve, but I think the reason that he started throwing it was to sort of um, give lefties one more thing to think about. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think of it because usually sliders are more effective against same-handed hitters, but if you're throwing it hard and inside, then, you know, pretty good pitch against lefties. So uh, so Ryan Zimmerman um, signed a six-year, $100 million contract that be- begins this year. Um, since having shoulder surgery in October 2012, he's had tons of trouble throwing the ball accurately, which really reduces his value. He was previously one of the best defensive third basemen in baseball. The Nationals are now evaluating him as a first baseman. Do you think Zimmerman has any chance of getting back to his old ways in the field, or is moving him to verse, first a viable option? Um, so, uh, you know, I would say this is this is sort of a lot of, a lot of moving parts in, to the equation. Um, let's start with your question directly. I would say that the chances of him be, ever being himself again are pretty close to zero. Yeah. I mean, I mean, his his best sort of best form would be zero because you know, I mean, uh, he was basically you know. The, to hear some people say it, like the best defensive third baseman since like Mike Schmidt, um, or you know, like I mean, Davey Johnson played with Brooks Bert Ro- Robinson, and he said that some of the plays that they were made when he was younger, or even last year, the plays the balls he got to and the way he fielded them was like Brooks Robinson. Um, so I, th- I don't think he's going to be like that kind of elite, like shoe and gold glove defender again. Um, now, do I think he can be a useful third baseman and even an above average third baseman? I would say yes. He's still an awesome. Um, Reflexes over there. He's quick. Um, one thing that I heard him sort of that I heard him last year when you look at all like the defensive metrics and his range factor and that kind of thing um, is that because he knew his arm strength was not there after surgery, um, he was playing further in so the throw would not be as far to first base. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know this there was like ten, that like ten feet or so of seating in um, really hurt his range, uh, which is what made him such an awesome third baseman for the first part of his career. Um, and so. You know, as the year went on last year, like in the last like month, six weeks or so, uh, he actually looked uh, really damn good at third base. He made it, he made it, he made that play where he sort of fields it backhand on the line behind the bag, jumps and just chucks it over to first. Um, and it did not look like a guy who had a bad arm at all. I mean, he looked he looked really young and athletic, um, which he still is in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, I think he can still be a good uh, third baseman and, and a useful third baseman. And it's, it's definitely in the national's best interest to keep him there as long as he can, because obviously his offensive value is greater, uh, if he's playing third as opposed to playing first. Um, that being said, as you mentioned, they are sort of breaking him in at first base this year. Um, but it's not as like, uh, they aren't breaking him in so he can take over the position. Um, essentially they don't really, they might not have a first backup first baseman on their roster. Uh, if Tyler Moore makes the team, that'll be it'll be Tyler Moore. He would be the guy who would back up Adler at first base. If Tyler Moore does not make the team, which is actually what I kind of expect, I think their last bench spot will go to Jamie Carroll. Um, then Ryan Zimmerman would essentially become the backup first baseman as well as being um, the starting third baseman. So he would be the plan as it stands now would be to kind of get Zimmerman maybe 10 to 15 starts all year long. At first base, mm-hmm. maybe he gets stuck lefty or give LaRoche a day off because um, LaRoche stunk last year against uh, left-handed pitchers. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of in the back, the back of the Nationals' mind. Uh, and so, uh, you know, for the future, I could see this sort of experiment this year being, you know, leading to Zimmerman playing first base on a more temper on a more um, 
permanent basis if I'm wrong and if he does and if he had, does have the same sort of disastrous throwing uh, performance he had last year. Uh, but I'm going to bet on Zimmerman. I think you know I just think he's a really athletic guy. Um, I think he's a really determined guy. Um, I think he still has a lot of ability and will figure it out at least to stay there for this year, um, if not one or two more years after this year. But um, you know, as you kind of tell, it's very it's a very fluid situation mm-hmm. for Brian Zimmerman's defensive um, mm-hmm. status. Bryce Harper followed up an incredible rookie season by improving in almost every way offensively. He did miss some time with a in- knee injury after running into a wall in May, but he did play well after returning. Um, what room for improvement does he still have left? He's been 23rd in baseball in isolated slugging over the past two years, but considering his age and the muscle mass he put on this offseason, his power could go from great to elite still. I would say that's right. Um, I think one way, so, you know, he has a lot of room to improve uh, in, you know, in one regard, which is hitting left-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's sort of uh, a complicated explanation. So yeah. he's actually, throughout his career, um, you know, his, his rookie year, he's, he's actually pretty good against lefties. Um, you know, not, he wasn't elite, but, you know, he definitely held, uh, held his own and more so. Um, last year, for the first month or so of the year, he, he was probably, you know, he might have been the MVP in baseball. Um, he, he, he had this, just a preposterous sort of April. Um, if you remember, he had two home runs on, on opening day. I think he had, if I remember right, he had nine homers after the first month and, you know, some kind of crazy, like, 1,200 OPS. Um, he was just a beast. Um, on April 31st, he jumped to try to catch to what, what was what became a home run in Atlanta and hit his knee on the wall. Um, and so everybody remembers when that 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 like horrific collision with the wall in Dodger Stadium, uh, which happened in mid-May. But really, the thing that that set Harper's season back was when he jumped into the wall in Atlanta on April 31st. From that time forward, um, he he was he was really bad against left-handed pitchers. Um, a lot of that was because they sort of found. Uh, a weakness that they exploit over and over again. They would throw the ball. Lefties would throw the ball in the outside corner, a lot of breaking stuff away. Um, and Harper really had just a little strength in his knee that when he reached out to get that pitch, uh, his knee would sort of, um, you know, I don't want to say buckle, but it would just be weak. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have much strength mm-hmm. um, as he sort of uh, strode and hit, hit that pitch. Um, and so he missed a lot, and he hit the ball weakly, weakly a lot. He had a really bad performance against left-handed pitchers. Um, he's mentioned a few times this spring, um, that he feels a lot stronger um, facing them. He has not. He, he said he's got bad numbers this spring, but uh, his knee has been healthy, and that's most important. So I think the biggest way he's going to improve um, and be closer to sort of um, you know April 2013 Bryce Harper than uh, majority of the season 2013 Bryce Harper is just through health. Um, as long as he stays healthy, you know, and doesn't um, do anything crazy like run run into a wall or you know uh, you know dive headlong to a catcher or something. Um, yeah, I mean, there's every reason to think that he will improve. Um, basically in every facet offensively. Um, and, you know, he had a good year last year, especially for age 20 guys. So, um, you know, it'll be, just be sort of fun to sit back and watch and see, and see what he can do. Um, at least you hope so. You know, you hope he doesn't get hurt. Um, and you hope that um, all that muscle doesn't sort of throw him off, which, um, you know, could be happening now in some training. His timing has been off. He's been a little um, jumpy, a little hippie, as Matt Williams uh, described it, sort of really um, getting a little over-anxious with his lower half and the swing. Um but, you know, I, I think it's probably just like a spring training timing issue and yeah. he'll be totally fine fifth or something. After signing a seven-year, $126 million contract following the 2010 season, Jason Worth had a rough first year and an injury-ridden second year. He rebounded nicely in 2013 as his power came back to the level it was at from, 20, from 2008 to 2010. 
How have the fan base's feelings about that contract change after last season? Um, a lot. You know, I think they sort of flipped when he hit that uh, home run in Game 4 of the 2012 NLDS. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of fans who were at the park that night who would say, you know, pay him whatever you want, uh, he's worth it. Because that was, <laughs> I mean, that was literally the best moment uh, in Washington baseball since Walter Johnson won the World Series. Um, and so he'll, he'll forever be beloved for that one moment, no matter what, even though he's not a guy who, um, just by sort of his public demeanor, you think of as being like a beloved figure. Um, uh, uh, so I do think, I think the, so, you know, that kind of won a lot of people over. Um, and last year, you know, he was hurt a bit, which scared, which is, you know, sort of something that happens to players who are taking their mid thirties. Um, so not a great time, but you know, he was also the best hitter. You know, he was the best hitter in the national league for a solid two months after the all-star break. Um, and yeah, you know, I think, um, both his performance and the market, you know, the, the sort of the way that, um, players are getting paid now, even only, you know, it's only three years after he signed his deal. Um, but, you know, I think if Jason Worth became free agent tomorrow and he signed a contract for four years mm-hmm. and $83 million, which I think is what's left in the books, um, I don't think you would see him that far out of mm-hmm. line. You know, maybe a little bit of an overpay, but nothing that you would think is like an albatross um, based on his, his performance and, um, you know, comparable, comparable players and what they're getting paid. So, um, you know, it's going to be, uh, so I think the fan base right now is feeling good about it. Uh, we'll see if they're, they're feeling good about it when he is 37 years old and the contract has some deferred money. So he'll be making like $22 million that year. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, Worth is a, is a pretty interesting guy as far as watching how he ages. Um, he was sort of a late bloomer anyway. Um, he missed a lot of time when he was younger because he had that, that really, um, unique uh, and odd wrist injury that sort of robbed him of a couple of years when he was really young. Um, so he's got a little less tread in the tires than a lot of guys his age. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's such a good natural athlete. I kind of have this pet theory that, you know, the sort of elite of elite um, athletes in baseball, just raw athleticism, and um, I think they sort of age better um, than, than a lot of players and sort of, um, you know, it's not obliterate the aging curve, they defy it. Um, just because when they slide back athletically and with the reflexes, they can, they're, you know, they're, they're still um, average to above average. I look at a guy like Carl, you know, look how well like Carlos Beltran is aged. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I do think Worth has, has the potential to be that kind of player. They might be overly optimistic and maybe, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, taking two months of really good performance and sort of trying to project that forward. Um, but I do think um, he's the kind of player that has a chance to defy the aging curve a little bit. The Nationals go into this year with pretty similar expectations. They're, again, the odds-on favorite to win the division. What's the most important change the Nationals have made this offseason to avoid another disappointing year? I would say they focused um, quite a bit on their bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, they, uh, you know, it was kind of a mess, uh, especially early on. They had no, um, they had no um, sort of viable left-handed relievers. Uh, they opened the year with six righties and Zach Duke and... Uh, everything for my haywire. So this year, they traded for, for Jared Blevins. Uh, they put Ross Dillard in the bullpen, which I think is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. I think it makes them, um, it makes their back end pretty, pretty dangerous. Um, you know, a lot of, a couple of scouts and even, um, Matt Williams himself have said he, they think he, that, that Dillard can be the sort of like Justin Wilson at the Nationals. Um, so I think, uh, that one focus is, is, is important. Um, otherwise they didn't really change their team a whole lot. I think they, Still remain pretty confident in the talent they had. 
um, and that last year was the aberration. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you know, uh, this year will tell, but uh, there's also a chance that Wing 98 game 2012 was the aberration. Um, so I would lean toward sort of um, the middle, but a little more toward the 98 win team than the 86 win team, um, but probably pretty close to the middle. Um, so, you know, you're looking at probably 90, 94 wins that got um, in that range, which should be enough to win the NL East. Um, you know, but it's funny, like talking to some of the national front office people, they kind of saw, they expected to win about 91 games in 2012, and they expected they would win about 91 games mm-hmm. in 2013. Um, and look what happened. So that, that, yeah. that's baseball for you. All right, well, that's all I have for you, Adam. Thanks for coming on the show. Okay, man. Good times. Thank you. That was Adam Kilgore of the Washington Post. You can read Adam at WashingtonPost.com slash Adam Kilgore or follow him on Twitter at Adam Kilgore WP. Join us tomorrow when we'll be discussing the top American League team in the projected standings, the Tampa Bay Rays.